There's been a few people that have tried to um, sort of approach me about what I said about doing an online course together. I would love it. Uh, we're going around visiting a number of churches over the next uh, couple of weeks. So um, what I would love to do is a UK-based course and fit in with your hours and stuff like that. It's quite a tough course, honestly. It's eight weeks. Um, it's probably an hour per day. And... Uh, and I actually get you to do assignments as well. So, um, so it's not for the faint-hearted. But if you do, um, Jeremy has studied with me. So you can ask Jeremy and Laura. I think she was there for some of it as well. Um, although, I'm, did you do the assignments? <laughs> so it's a real joy, actually, to do it as a community. Like, you, get, you can take a book. It's fine. I almost guarantee that you won't really get that much out of it on your own, honestly. It's fine. But doing it in community is where the action happens. That's when the eyes start to open and the lights go on, honestly. Doing it in a, as a way of questioning, answering, you can, you can really get... Uh, I, I think, actually, it reshapes the way you think about God and about the whole way that we live. That, that would be my experience of it. There you go. I've sold it. Um, if you're interested in signing up, you can do it in a number of ways. You can, there's Facebook and Instagram. If you're really technologically advanced, you can point your phone camera at that thing and click a button that comes up, and it should take you to a, a little sign-up sheet. So, or you can do the old-school way, come and get me, and, and I'll write down your email address or something. <laughs> okay? But whatever, if any of you would like to do it, you'd be more than welcome. Thanks, Cole. So I, I want to encourage you, if any of you are keen to do it, it has been amazing in our world where we work. Um, as Colin mentioned very briefly, he's trained hundreds of our leaders uh, with this, and it's been transformative. And um, it, it, what I'm finding, what it's really interesting, doesn't matter where you go in the world, we all could learn a lot more about the big story and about where we fit in that story. Like Colin did an excellent job before, before lunch with whetting your appetite. Hopefully I can carry on with that just now. I just want to quickly uh, show you a photograph. Colin mentioned a young man called Sabalo uh, a bit earlier. That's him up there. Uh, he's 27 years old. Um, Colin said his sister, Natalo, was a prostitute. And through um, Shannon, my wife's ministry, and just love for her, came off drugs. Wonga, it's a, it's a cocktail drug that's got rat poison, baby powder, uh, marijuana, a couple other things mixed together and they guys smoke it and it is the it is terrible it is the most destructive drug called wonga um guys walk around like zombies he was like this spent 10 years living under a bridge or in different people's homes just wherever who would take him in a uh, life of crime as colin said i figured out with him he's stolen over a million rands worth of goods in, the, in those 10 years, which would be 50,000 uh, pounds. When I explained to him, because you know, it's, it's quite a cheap drug, but how much he smoked of it, he's like, wow, I would be a rich man today if I hadn't done that. I said, yeah, but you stole that money anyway. So. But anyway, Sabala got saved after seeing his sister being transformed by the love of Jesus and uh, coming off drugs. He came off drugs and um, an amazing young man, as Colin said, he's got his first job. It's not without complications. It's not straightforward. Um, he's lived a very tiny little life for 10 years. 
just focused on the next hit. Uh, and yet he's a delight. You can just see that face. He really is uh, a delight. So I had a photo, so I thought I'd show you a photo of Sabelo. Fantastic. As you know, my name is Paul. Um, it is a joy to be here. Uh, I think all the connections have been made. Um, Alan and Jeremy and Laura, dear friends of ours. Uh, no, Angus and Helen, though, as well. Met them in India many years ago. Uh, and we discovered we both had a love for East Africa. Um, I was heading off to uh, Tanzania um, soon after we met these guys, and they connected us in with an old friend of theirs on Zanzibar Island who became a friend who connected us. Today we've got a thriving ministry happening on Zanzibar. Church is being planted. I uh, might share a little bit of stories a little bit later about that. Great to see these guys, though. Just You know when you meet someone who's a kindred spirit, kindred soul, and uh, so it's really great to, to be with them. I wonder how this Swahili's doing. Ah, better than mine. <laughs> I just go, kidogo, kidogo. Anyway, I'm married to Shannon, as you heard earlier. We have five children. Um, two of them adopted. My oldest is 30, and she's married and got two, two little boys. So I'm a granddad, uh, way before my time. Uh, um, we adopted a teenager. It's a great story, um, but not straightforward either. It's funny. None of these stories are straightforward. Uh, we have four kids at home, um, 15, 13, 10, 7. So we're kind of that that stage. Um, they're missing me, especially my 13-year-old, and they, they're back home. But it, it is such a joy to be with you. I have been to the UK before, uh, but never this far north, not in the far north. Um, I like it up here. It's only been a day or so. We had lunch with Dave and Angie yesterday in a little town somewhere down the road. And I couldn't understand a word the waitress was saying to me. I was staring at her so hard. I was like, what is going on? Is she having me on here? Like, I know that is English. And I was, I was getting nervous. I was going to, almost my turn to order. And I wanted bangers and mash. And I was like, is she going to understand if I say bangers? How do, bang, bangers or bangers? Anyway, she understood me. I was like, whew. But it is great to, to be up here. Um, I, I hear the northerners are very direct. I've experienced that somewhat. I had dinner with Alan last night, um, but also known Laura for years. And um, I like it. I like it. As South Africans, we're we also very direct. Um, so I'm feeling at home amongst you. So forgive me if I'm direct today, but it's my culture. Hallelujah. So Colin and I and, and our families are in a church plant. Is it still a plant three years in? We planted a church six weeks before our first heavy lockdown of COVID. I wouldn't advise it. Um, God saw us through. We're still here um, through ups and downs. But uh, we'd moved with Colin and a few other folk to, to plant. Some of you know, in fact, I know you know Gareth Ustazen. I think he's spoken here before. So Gareth's a dear, dear friend of ours, and he moved to join us with his family as well two years ago, part of the team there. And uh, God has really taken us on an interesting journey through COVID, out of COVID, and reimagining what has God called us to as a church. I'm a rubbish pastor. So I had to try and get rid of the church as quick as possible. I started it, but I knew I needed to get out of there, and um, I had lined up a guy. You know these plans, Ellen, that you have that are just perfect, and so we, we lined up this guy. He was coming. In fact, before we planted the church, I said, I'll, I'll lead it. I'll plant it, but you have to leave it within a year. So he said, fine, no problem. Great plan. COVID hit. He was a medical doctor. He struggled with the pressure he was under, and he left, 
And so two years later, I was still leading the thing. And praise God, I managed to twist Colin's arm. So he's pretty much leading the church now. But we have a wonderful team of elders there who lead together. And then I'm involved with leading a, a, a group of apostolic networks together, um, which is called Issica Alliance. Uh, and we move work mainly in southern East Africa and just in the last few years in Pakistan and Myanmar as well. I think Colin mentioned those earlier. God is opening so many doors. There's so much exciting things happening in the nations at the moment. I, I must say these last years seem to be tough for the whole world. You know, obviously COVID, uh, but it just, you know, cost of crisis living we hear about here, which if I could be honest, I don't know if it's really a crisis. If you come from, if you know, if you come from Africa, this might not be a crisis, but I do understand. But because it's my culture, I can speak straight. You know? Maybe it's the cost of living discomfort, but anyway. All over the world, things seem to be turning upside down. But I tell you what, my testimony to you this morning is that all over the world, this gospel, this good news that we love, that saved us, is growing and bearing fruit everywhere we go. You know that scripture where Jesus um, said, you know, the fields are white unto harvest. Pray the Lord of hosts. You know, I've been around church for about 20 years, and I remember hearing that scripture and leading churches and going, it's in the Bible, but I just don't see these white, hot harvest fields. I just don't see them. Often in, in the kingdom, it's hard work. It's a slog, leading churches and, and leading people. But I tell you what, it just feels like wherever we go in the last few years, God is opening doors, particularly amongst the unreached and bringing the unreached to us as well. There's a lot happening. So it's really exciting. But I want to read from Matthew this afternoon. If you've got Matthew chapter 14, um, I would like to read and apply really a lot of what Colin said this morning. Um, I thought it was such an excellent word for you. And obviously by the response I saw, I can see a, a response of people, of people hungry for God. And it's just wonderful to be amongst you. And I think I could add probably this afternoon to what Colin started talking about. One of, the, one of my great challenges through the years, and I'll tell you a little bit of my story later, has been, has been self-disqualification. Okay, so insecurities, lies that I've believed that led to, for me, disqualifying myself from what Jesus has called me to do. And I just think of what Colin was saying earlier is so true. And you might be sitting here saying, yes, that is true. I have a role to play in this story. I have a page in this great book. I fit. I have a purpose. I have a plan. But you don't understand quite my situation, uh, how I've messed up or what's happened to me, or this. And we can make all these lists of disqualifications for ourselves, and I want to talk a little bit about those just now. So, Matthew 14, verse 13 to 21. It's become one of my favorite stories of Jesus, where he feeds the 5,000 um, men. There were more. There were women. There were children with them. I don't know. Some people say 10, 12,000 people. All right, let's pick up verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. 
you give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. I was once years ago in South Sudan, the newest country, I think, in the world still. It was during a ceasefire between the north and the south. And those of you might know, the north of Sudan is Muslim and the south is black African, maybe Christian, kind of Christianese. But there was a ceasefire in the war and we had an opportunity to go with some friends and, and minister there with a group. And we flew into Juba, the capital of South Sudan, and then flew up the Nile and then got in a car or vehicle and lorry and, and went further. Really, the most remote place I've ever been in the world. When we got there, we discovered that our, our supply lorry from Kenya hadn't arrived. Um, and it was a serious thing because it's hot. It were, most of the days were over 40 degrees. Um, I'm a big guy. I need lots of water, and all our water was on the lorry. And there was severe cholera outbreaks in that area at the time. A number of the, the pastors we were with had just been losing family members to cholera. So you couldn't drink the local water. And so we were rationed uh, what we could drink, uh, very little, and rationed with what we could eat. Uh, we were there a week. I got really ill. Um, I ended up with heat stroke, uh, which was the least of the problems that I saw around me. We, we, we saw many people who were on death's door, either dying of starvation or dysentery or cholera. It was a very sobering time. Uh, it was my first foray into, un, into unreached peoples. It was my first time on the, on the front line, as it were, after years of praying and prayer meetings and lying on the floor in the front of church saying, Lord, send me to the nations. Give me an inheritance. I got there so full of God, so full of power. I was going to see the, the sick healed, the blind were going to see, the lame were going to walk. And before long, I was lying in my little tent uh, wanting to die, feeling like wanting to die with heat stroke and hunger and serious tummy issues. It was the closest I've ever got to really going hungry. And really seeing people are hungry. Now, I know it's a lot worse for others around the world. Dare I say, today, here in Durham, there's a famine even more severe than what I experienced that day. Not a famine of food, clearly. <laughs> but a famine of hearing and obeying the word of God, as we heard this morning. Of hearing and obeying the word of God. It's been a real joy being up here. One of the stories I, I hear more and more as I get north has been Friday nights at the Curry House. And so, and what goes on? Colin shared some stories at university at Leeds and, and just sort of this culture as well around when the locals go out to, I'm sure there must be locals here. I don't know, you said it, when the locals go out. I'm like, you local as well. But there's this culture often, and from what I've heard, it's quite similar to where I come from, of drunkenness, of promiscuity, You've seen some of the stories we deal with with drugs and all of that. I know it's here. There's just this brokenness in the world today that's come about because of this famine of the hearing and the doing, the obeying the word of God. The question I have for you today, I'm, I'm a simple preacher. 
something that's too straight. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Jesus, in this story, asked the disciples the same thing. They're like, hey, Jesus, these guys are hungry. We're going to need to make a plan. Do you know Jesus at that point could very easily have turned the stones into bread? Very easily. He, he, he could have, you know, brought out the old trick and brought down quail and fed them. He could have done it on his own without anyone's help. But he said, what are you going to do about it? And that's the question I have for you today. You heard this morning how you have all got a role to play in this glorious story of the kingdom of Jesus. You all, no matter how old, how young you are, we've all got a role to play, a unique role in this story. The question is, are you going to trust Jesus with that? Are you going to do something with that? I kept, as I was praying last night, the sense of disqualification, that there are many people here, and maybe, as I shared, it's something I've struggled with, but many of you disqualifying yourself today, this stage of your life, from what Jesus is calling to you now. You might have a history. You might have a great history with Jesus. You might have fought great battles and won through. You might have seen amazing things. You, you might have been there 30, 40 years ago, the outpouring of the Spirit and the charismatic renewal. You might, have, you might have been there. I wasn't. I'm not that old, so I wasn't. But you might have seen these things. You, you, you might have seen God move powerfully. You might have won internal battles and pushed through. And yet today, there's fresh challenges. Today, there's a famine around, and each of us, have a role to play. And I know I'm amongst the people who get this. I know from what I've, what I've heard from your leaders and what I've experienced just among you, this hunger for God, but not just for yourself, for, 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 for the dying community around you, for this generation that is so lost around us. I want to share a few stories with you about how we can disqualify ourselves and just hopefully inspire you with some of my friends and how they've overcome these so-called disqualifications. You know, sometimes we think, well, I had a bad start in life. And that's really limiting me from, from fulfilling what God has for me. Does that make sense? I want to tell you about Samuel. Colin's, I've got a few pictures. They're not great quality. But there's a, there's a man from Zanzibar called Samuel. He's a friend of mine. He's a pastor. He's a farmer and a pastor. I'm a farmer and a pastor. So, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm a farmer and a leader. But... Um, I've stayed with this man in his home, such a humble man. One night we were staying with him, and um, we, he was telling us a story. I said, tell me your story. How did you come to know Jesus? He's not from the island of Zanzibar. By the way, Zanzibar is off the coast of, of Tanzania in, in East Africa. There's about a million people, 99% Muslim, uh, and there's uh, quite a bit of persecution that does take place there on that island. Um, so it's tough for, for guys who have been called to to plant churches. Anyway, when he was a young man, a young boy, when he was first born, uh, he was lived on the, on the mainland near Mount Kilimanjaro. And I, I don't know the tribe he was from, but in that tribe, there, um, there were certain cultures and, and traditions. And he had had two or three older brothers and sisters who had died at birth. As they were, uh, were, they were born, within a short time, they would die. And one of the, cult the traditions in that culture or beliefs was that if that happened, it wasn't because of sickness or anything else. It was because of evil spirits. And the solution was to sell your child to another family. And that way they would live. So Samuel was born. 
And when he was born, his family sold him. His dad sold him to a, another family in the tribe. Samuel ended up living, clearly. About 14, 15 years later, Samuel's not so sharp on dates. He's not quite sure how old he is. And I don't think it's just an excuse. I think he really doesn't know how old he is. Anyway, he, he, um, when he was a teenager, his dad got born again. His dad was saved. There was a missionary in the area. He came and his dad got saved. And after being saved, his dad went back, found Samuel, and redeemed him. Paid for him and took him back into his family. <laughs> it's just the most amazing story if you ever need a picture of the gospel. But he, he bought Samuel back. And then they planted the first indigenous church in their tribe together. Years later, he joined the army. He moved to, to Zanzibar, and he leads a church there in Zanzibar. If you thought you had a bad start in life, remember Samuel. Remember how he was sold into slavery, really, in a sense. And yet God saved him out. The next, the next person I just want to share about is one of my best friends, one of my closest friends. His name is Leon. That's him on the left there. He's my, he's my wingman. We do lots together. We've been very, very, very good friends for 20 years um, and now work hand in hand together. He's one of the leaders in our church, and he leads uh, a lot of our work around the nations. Um, he's really the, our administrator. He gets it all done, which I'm very thankful for. Um, Leon was born into real poverty. His dad was a Hindu. His mom was Catholic. Um, not long after being born, he was a young guy. His, his mom and dad got divorced. It was an abusive home. His mom and dad were, were divorced. His dad moved away, and they fell into deep poverty. His mom worked as a domestic servant. They often went out without food. Leon quickly turned to a life of crime uh, in his early teens, like 10, 11, 12 years old, drugs, crime. Uh, he's starting to get involved in, with gangs uh, around Durban, which is a, the city, cl a big city close to us. Um, at the age of about 15, uh, 14, I think he started going to jail for the first time. And uh, for the next six or seven or eight years, he was in and out of jail. Started his own gang. Um, he's tatted up kind of everywhere. Uh, not designer tats that look all cool. The ones they do in prison with a, a sharp point and ink. And so he's tatted up all over. Um, and he's got gold teeth, uh, which I don't get, but he gave his wife gold teeth for their um, anniversary, the one year as well. Uh, like, not gold fillings, gold teeth. But Leon had a really rough upbringing. It culminated at the age of about 21. He murdered a guy in a gang fight. He killed someone and he went to jail. And he was going to be in jail uh, for a long, long time because of his track record. And he sat there for months and months. And by... Some kind of miracle, he got off. Technicality type thing, and he got out. He made one of those promises to Jesus when he was inside, because he kind of knew his mom went to the Catholic Church. If you get me out of here, <laughs> I won't be naughty anymore. God took him at his word, and he got out, and he got clean, and um, joined the church. We became friends just over 20 years ago. We met one another. He, a couple of years later, moved uh, to join the, our first church plant in 2010. And he led that for a number of years until a month ago he handed that over and he moved to be with Colin and I and the team to serve all, all our work. There's a man who had a bad start to life. You know, maybe some of you had a bad start to life. Can I tell you this morning, there's no disqualification for what Jesus is calling you to do today. Absolutely nothing. 
Now, I realize not everyone in this room is a student at Durham University. There are some slightly more mature people amongst us. Maybe you think, you know, I'm in the second half. I'm, I'm heading towards the end. I'm heading towards glory. What could I do? I've got some friends who had really late starts in life, and yet they've made an amazing impact in the kingdom of God. The next lady I want to talk about is a dear friend of ours. Her name is Liz Haynes. Um, this is the only photo we had of her. See the lady right in the middle with a maroon kind of jacket on? All right, in South Africa, and I don't know, I'm not allowed using this word here in South Africa, she's a colored, classified as colored, which is mixed race. But I'm allowed saying that because it's my culture. And so was Leon, by the way. So she's not black African. She's of mixed race. Her, her mother tongue is Afrikaans, which is a Dutch derivative. We have a Dutch man here. Uh, and, um, and Liz and I and my wife, we met her in 2010. We've been praying for a rural area down on the coast south of us. Uh, we'd never seen a church in this community before, and we'd been going there for many, many years just on holiday, a little village. And my wife and I were praying for this place. Lord, give us someone here. Give us someone here that we can be friends with and serve them to see what you could do. We want to see a church in this place. Anyway, we're down there one day. We met Liz by absolute chance. Uh, just the Holy Spirit connected us with her amazingly. Her story is, she was in her 50s when we met her, early 50s. She, her husband was unsaved. She had just got saved, like a year or so before, out of Catholicism as well. And she had just got saved. Her husband was, um, was unfaithful to her. Her husband was really ill. He was um, bipolar. It was a really hard existence. He was a businessman, but he had a lot of girlfriends. And um, in a small community, everyone knew. So the shame that that lady carried. And yet she got saved. And when she got saved, God gave her a heart to plant a church. And she started to pray that God would give her friends that could help her. She was in a community that was all Kosa speaking. Kosa is one of the languages in, in Southern Africa that I speak as well. Do you want to hear how the duck crosses the road? Okay, can, will, you, will you help me, John? Okay, how the, this is how, how do you say the duck crossed the road. Itata. It's Nelson Mandela's language. Have you ever heard of, sort of him speak? It's a lot of clicks. It's a beautiful language. She, she, she learned to speak. She was in a foreign culture. And amongst, she was the only Afrikaans speaker there. She was in a foreign culture. But God, when God saved her, he said, I've got a purpose for you here with an unsaved husband in a community where no one really gets you, no one understands you. We happened to meet her soon after that. We helped her plant a church. She's a church planter. She's part of two churches. She helped her plant a church in a place called Mahenge, which means go hang yourself or place of hanging in the, in the language because it was such a broken community. I can, I can attest it's one of the most broken places I've ever been in. It's kind of just this dump of houses, of little shacks and houses outside of this one town. And no facilities, no school. There were no churches. And um, she knew one person who had moved into this community. And, um, and that person she knew, her husband was murdered one night there in his home. And they didn't know any Christians other than Liz. And so she phoned Liz and said, Liz, this is what's happened. Liz went, started to meet with her and pray for her. She got saved. And Liz didn't know what she was doing. Liz was in her 50s. She was, came from the abusive situation, I already said, messed up background. She started to pray, and uh, people started getting saved. She said, Paul, I need some help. 
we went down. I remember sitting in this lady's little room. It's a little shack of a room. All over the wall was blood. All over the wall from her husband. She wouldn't clean it. This was like six months later. And out of that room grew a beautiful church. And Liz led it for a number of years before she handed it over to another young man. But we saw a community transformed amazingly. After us, two other churches came in and planted churches in this little community. They did three churches in the community. A life has come. Some of the ladies in the church petitioned to get the health services to come, bring a mobile clinic. We saw the kingdom come all through Liz's faithfulness. It hasn't been easy. She's ill. She has arthritis. Her husband's really ill. Husband got saved. A number of years later, he got saved. But it's been a hard road. Still is a very hard road as a woman as well. In our culture, planting churches, leading churches in a very patriarchal society. She's done amazing things for Jesus. And she started in her 50s. There's another man I want to show you. This will be the last one. Uh, his name is Paolo Camole. There he is. Um, looks serious. He's really not. He's one of the funniest, most loving men. Jeremy and Laura met him last year. We're at their church in Zanzibar. He's in Zanzibar. Paolo, um, Baba Komole, we call him because of his age, not his first name. Baba Komole um, was also from the mainland in Tanzania. And he was a witch doctor. He was a Muslim, but he was a witch doctor. So, And he had some strange powers, like one of his favorite tricks. And so just stay with me here. He could turn paper into money. And then later, the, pa- the money would turn back into paper. Now, I know I'm in England. And I know you think I'm crazy right now. But it's true. Just, just believe me. There's all sorts of power at work in this world that's not of Jesus. And so this was his trick. And so he did this on the mainland, and he was doing it, and he got found out. And he was in danger of his life. So he fled to Zanzibar with his first wife. When he got to Zanzibar, he carried on the business. He took a second wife, and now he had two wives, a couple kids, and a roaring business. Until he scammed one of the sheiks on the island who then placed a curse on him. I know I've lost you at this point. Just let me keep going. The sheik placed a curse on him, and he was dying. They tried all sorts of medication, all other witch doctors, nothing worked. He was dying. He was withering away. And I've seen this happen to people. Physically, nothing wrong with them. Spiritually, they die. They, and they die physically. I've seen it happen. And um, anyway, he was dying. And... Uh, Somebody came and visited and said that he knows of a pastor. And this would have been back in the 80s when you guys were around there. And um, he's from Chuini area. And um, he, he got this pastor to come, one of the very few who would have been on the island at that time. I don't know who he was, but he went and prayed for Baba Komole and he was healed. Baba Komole got up, he was healed, and at that got saved. And then he had two wives. He had to know what to do with his two wives. I mean, this man is an expert storyteller. And so it was amazing, though, how he, he released his second wife. He said, this, what I've done to you is wrong. He released her. He took care of her. They hadn't had children. Maybe that made it less complicated. And she got remarried. I mean, how do you fix those situations that are broken? Not sure. But, but he honored her, released her. And after a while, he started planting churches. Uh, he's planted multiple, multiple churches. Uh, on the island of Zanzibar and Pamba Island. In fact, he planted two churches on Pamba Island, which is a story for another day. But we're potentially probably the first 
evangelical churches on that island, which is an island north of, of Zanzibar. He's in his 70s, as you can see. It's a fairly updated photo. He lives with his children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren all in one home. It is a blast when you stay there. You're never sure. Are you a grandchild or a great-grandchild or a child? is a whole mix. He speaks not many words of English, so we go through our translators. But him and his, his wife, Mama Selina, mid-70s, we are praying with them to go to an island called Tambatu, which is another island just off the coast that has no churches on, no Christian witness. We've been trying to get on there for two years, and they keep shutting them down. Our plan was to sink a well, raise money, sink a well to serve the community, and then just out of loving the community, starting to, to share Jesus. We haven't been allowed to. I spoke to him a few weeks ago via translator. I said, what's happening? What are you up to? He said, I want to go to Tambatu. And if they kill me, that's fine. I need to go in his mid-70s. Folks, it's not too late to start, and it's never too late to be a part of the action. Amen? Amen. I think I've covered all the age groups here. But you know, some of you are like me. You had a great start, and then it was squandered along the way. Um, either from your, old, your own fault, Maybe your own stupidity or sinfulness or someone else's sinfulness against you. But you started well. And somewhere along the line, things didn't seem to work out. I really want to speak to that group today. That's my story. I was born into a family where I was loved deeply. I had a mom who is with Jesus now, but who was filled with the Spirit, loved Jesus. And, and a dad who loved Jesus, but he still never filled with the Spirit. Alan, maybe I can get you over to help, but I was loved, I was cherished, I grew up in um, apartheid South Africa as a young guy, I had all privilege I could need, I had everything I could want, my folks had tons of servants, I grew up spoilt, uh, we lived on a farm, I'm a farm boy, and uh, we grew up on a farm, and, and life was really easy and really good, until when I was a young guy, I was sexually abused, and um, things started to go a bit pear-shaped in my life, from this idyllic little world someone I trusted sexually abused me. Soon after that, my brother died in a horse riding accident. And so pain started coming into my life for the first time. And this little idyllic world started to get a little bit shaken. Those incidents led to uh, a teenage years, those teenage years of absolute carnage, um, absolute hell in my life, uh, addictions, uh, security, insecurity issues, identity issues. And I know all teenagers, I've got two of them at the moment, struggle with identity issues, but absolutely ravaged. I discovered at that time all sorts of horrible secrets about my family. You know those ones that no one talks about? <laughs> I discovered them as a 13, 14-year-old boy. I didn't know what to do with them. Um, by the time I was 21, I was an alcoholic. Um, I was severely depressed. Um, I didn't know it because in my culture, men, men don't cry, cowboys don't cry. We don't get depressed. You know, we, we pushed through, but I was suicidal and nearly, nearly killed myself. One night I had an incredible experience with Jesus. I was drunk in a bar on a Friday night, potentially, and I met Jesus. I met him. I was saved at some stage early on. But through these years, these teenage years, where things had fallen apart, I felt such shame, such shame, because I knew the truth, but I knew I'd messed up so badly. And that's the thing about abuse, isn't it? Even when it's not your fault, you, you, you feel responsible. And I'm sure there are people in this room who know what I'm talking about. 
I can remember night after night of going out to the pub and getting there and just feeling so dirty, knowing what I was about to do for that evening. And then so just hitting a whole bunch of shots as we get in, just to numb myself so that I could enjoy the evening. And then getting home at midnight or whatever hour in the morning, I still had a Bible. I'm trying to read my Bible. And your eyes are kind of doing this. And you're trying to read the Bible because you're like, I know these truths, God, but I've messed up. And this shame, the cycle of shame, it just destroys you where you think, I just can't take this anymore. I might as well end this. One night I very nearly did. And God in his grace stopped me from doing that. That night that I met Jesus again, powerfully, he baptized me in his Holy Spirit. I don't know the theology. I don't know and laid hands on me. But I was drunk in this bar. I'll take you to the place today if you want. I'll tell you what I was wearing. I'll tell you what I was doing. I was chatting up a young girl who I thought was pretty fine. And uh, I told her I'm a Christian. You know that. I mean, that was my, that was my pickup line because I knew she was a Christian. So I said, yeah, you know, actually a Christian. I've started a Bible study and the fear of God went through me. God, God arrested me. God got a hold of me and it terrified me. And I ran out of the pub. I got on my car, thankfully got home safely. God set me free from the addiction to alcohol that night and a whole bunch of other stuff. Woohoo! And today, she's my wife. I was like, I woke up the next morning and I was like, God, I know I'm free from, I know I'm free from alcohol. She thought I was a real loser, obviously. And, um, and I said, I want to marry that girl. I want to marry her. She went back to uni, came back a year later, and she couldn't resist. So there we are. But you know, even though, even though, and I share that for a reason, even though God set me free from so much, I've carried the effects of those things my whole life. I'm in my mid-40s now. It still has shaped my identity. That brokenness that came into my life as a young boy, as those teenage years, all that confusion, the alcohol, the addictions, all of that stuff has shaped me to this day. Now, I am born again. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I love him. But you know what? That stuff hangs around. We, we live in a real world. When bad things happen to us, it has a real lasting effect on our lives. We are not in glory yet. Not one of us here has it all together. Not one of us here is 100% fine today. And that's okay. Jesus knows that. He still wants you part of his big story. He still wants you part of his plan. He still will only work through men and women like you and I, broken, being mended, growing. He still, there's no, there's no other plan. There's no other plan for Durham. There's no other plan for Selby. It's you. With your warts and all, it's you. He's writing the story. Are you going to stop disqualifying yourself and join in? from whatever it is you're struggling with right now. You know, these last two and a half, three years have been probably the, well, safely say, the hardest of my life and probably a number of your lives. COVID has messed things up big time. And it wasn't just COVID, it was what came out of it. I shared with you that I used to have, I, I had mental health issues. I struggled with depression. I have since a child. I was finally medicated when I got up the courage to, to uh, go and see someone about it and go, hey, I'm actually weak. But the last two and a half years has been the hardest of my life. Planting a church into lockdown. We had some horrible situations happen of real betrayal. Um, my closest friend was the guy who was going to take over that church. 
and uh, he betrayed us in a sense and left. I was broken. Um, my mental health went through the floor. Um, anxiety issues. And that's been the hardest thing for me is the going, okay, depression. I understand it's serotonin in the brain, chemical reactions. I'm my fault. I'm a, you know, I'm a victim. It's kind of, I was born this way. But anxiety has carried such a stigma for me because the devil has said to me, why are you anxious? If you, you clearly don't trust Jesus. If you trust Jesus, if you're a good Christian, you won't be anxious about these things. You'll trust me. Be anxious in, in, a, in nothing, the Bible says. Yeah, I am preaching Sunday after Sunday and leading churches and doing all of that. But I'm a wreck, a, a mental wreck. I'm so blessed for the men and women God's put around me, Colin and Pam and the others in, in, in our church who've carried me through two and a half years. I, I've often said I've been the neediest person in our church plant. You know, if you've planted churches or been part of church plants, there's some folk are needy. It's been the church planter has been the neediest one. I reached an absolute low point last year where my doctor wanted to put me in an institution for a few weeks for my mental health, for anxiety. And, and I was like, I've lost my mind. And if anyone here has struggled with that before, it is horrific, isn't it? It's really, and if you haven't struggled with it, you actually, you don't understand what people go through. People who love Jesus. It's not a spiritual thing. It's not like necessarily like they're bad people not trusting Jesus. Because that was my theology. Let's cast the demon out or let's just pray harder and then you'll be better. You know what I mean? And it was neither. I prayed harder. God tried to get people to cast demons out of me. Nothing came out. And, and, and the whole time, especially these last two and a half years, just thinking, I'm disqualified. I'm disqualified. Who do you think you are? How can you lead a church? How can you lead these churches? How can you do this stuff for Jesus? I mean, this, if people really knew what was going on inside of you. And it's a lie. And these are lies from the enemy. Lies from the enemy. And I know I'm speaking to people who understand what I'm talking about here. Because all of us, no matter how young or how old we are, we carry a level of brokenness around through our life. And the lie is that God can't use us. And then, and something that's also almost a lie is, well, in, in spite of my brokenness, Jesus is going to use me. Have you heard people say that? It sounds good, but you know, that's not true. It's because of your brokenness. It's because of your brokenness that Jesus is going to use you, that he will use you. None of us go through life untouched. Jesus can handle it. He can handle what you're going through. I'm not free. I've been sick for the last year or two. I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, which led to me wanting to kind of lose my mind as well. Like, really struggled. About three weeks ago, I was re-diagnosed with bulharzia. And I praise God. It's a, it sounds graphic, but it's not. It's, it was easy. It was the best. I was the happiest bulharzia sufferer you've ever met. It's a parasitic waterborne snail that comes through your skin and takes up residence on your organs and your brain. And leads to uh, a lot of pain, uh, a lot of um, exhaustion, brain fog. I was so happy. I nearly hugged the doctor. And I'm feeling so much better. I can actually be here today and worship God earlier. It's been hard. But, but I'm, not, I'm not healed. I, I'm struggling. And it's probably I'm going to struggle with depression and for the rest of my life. I mean, I, I pray God heals me. But you know what? It's okay if he doesn't. It's okay if he doesn't because I know he's got me. And I know he's called me to be a part of his story. And he has a lane for me to run in. And I know I can't do it on my own. And that's why, as Colin said, we, we need the Holy Spirit. We can't do this without the Spirit. 
But I know that if I just hold on to Jesus, and when I'm too weak to hold on, that he's holding on to me. But I know I'm called for a purpose, as we heard earlier. I'm called to follow. I'm not just chosen just to be me. I'm chosen for a reason, for a purpose. And if I can just walk faithfully in my weakness, and it's not glorious, you know. Was it Spurgeon who wrote about the great night of the soul? that kind of this thing of this internal struggle. And somehow as a young guy, I remember reading that going, oh, that sounds spiritual. As you know, it is not. It is not fun going through these kind of times. And yet that's when God uses you and shapes you. These things are necessary. I, I, again, I'm still hopefully qualifies a young man. I'm not sure. Youngish man. But I'm starting to realize that I don't trust people unless they've suffered lots and are still in the game. Like as we move and we work with hundreds of leaders, I, I want to hear this story. I want to see people who have suffered well, because we all suffer. I just want to see people who have suffered well and have been faithful coming through. I'm going, that's a man, that's a woman I can trust. There's someone I can get behind. Because we all struggle. We all suffer. You know, if I go back to the story um, of Jesus there, I can't believe that that was only one young boy who had any food on them. 10, 12,000 people. Only one young boy with a bit of food? I'm sure there were a lot of people with food. But there was one young boy who had faith, who was willing to come to Jesus and say, this is what I've got. It's, it's puny. This is, it's, it's embarrassing. This is all I've got. There's 12,000 people there. This is all I have. Hey, but here it is. See, it takes faith. Childlike faith. It takes trust that Jesus is not going to turn around and reject you or laugh at you. Say, this is pathetic. Let, let me get some angels now. What does Jesus do? He says, bring it. Take it. Five loaves, two fish. Bring it. He blesses it. And then he breaks it. Breaks it. He has to break it. And he gives it back. He says, now you go feed the people. You know the story. There's 12 baskets left over afterwards. Incredible miracle. But it's in the breaking that the feeding comes. It's in the breaking. So enjoyed being here the last 24 hours and last night with Alan. Got to be praying for you guys as well. And I, I, I hear Alan's heart for 400 and beyond. I see it. I, can, I see it. I see 400 and beyond. But can I say, it's going to take each of you. And I know some of you from Selby here. I know God's doing great things in Selby. We heard yesterday from Dave. Whatever you trust in God for, whether it's 400 and beyond or in Selby, it's going to take breaking. It's going to take all of you. It's not going to take a few superstars. It's not going to take any other uh, help out of heaven. You're God's plan for Durham and Selby. You're it. Without you, God won't move. Without his people, he doesn't move. There's mystery in there. He could, we all know, he's sovereign. He can do what he wants. But he chooses to use broken men and women like you and I. But, if you're going to see 400 and beyond. I like the beyond because a lot. Okay. Is that his fault? 
uh, and hopefully it's beyond Durham, Alan. I know it's beyond Durham. Your work in India. I've heard about Turkey. I've heard about uh, Bulgaria. Obviously, this amazing family heading back to East Africa. It's beyond here as well. But if you want to see that, you're going to have to do what was up earlier. You're going to have to drive your, your pegs deeper in God. You really are. Because if you try and go wider and enlarge the, the place of your tent, without that, you'll be blown away. And it's, like, it's not like he's going to give you an option, folks, either. That's the thing. Sometimes you think, oh, I can choose to be a real disciple and go deeper. Or I can just choose to keep comfortable. You're not going to be able to do that. Either way, we're going to suffer. Either way, life's hard. Bad things are going to happen. You know, you can't choose that. But I want to encourage you. Receive from Jesus as a, as a body what he wants to give you. What he wants to do in you. Here, broken people, not fully mended. It's so, you know, so we're so tempted sometimes, even when we share our testimonies, to say, I used to be an alcoholic, I used to be a druggie, I used to be this, but Jesus saved me, and today it's just amazing, and I've got a wonderful wife and a whole bunch of kids. You know what? We, all of us know that today we've still got issues, don't you? We all know, but that's who Jesus wants to use. So my question to you, as I head towards a close, is this. What have you got to bring to Jesus? Simple. What have you got to bring to him? What right now in your life? It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't, I've, I've, I've uh, blown away all your excuses. I could have told you about friends of mine who were born in abject poverty, who have lived in poverty, yet are having a huge impact for the kingdom. And guys, for the, it's, it's different for every one of us, isn't it? You know this. It's different for every single one of us. Are you ready today? to let go of the disqualifications that you're holding on to. You see, because we hold on to those things. You can hold them for decades and decades. Are you ready just to let some of that stuff go? It's not how Jesus sees you. It's not his um, view of you. It's not your true identity. Let me wrap up. I think God's made his point. I know some of you here have been uh, following Jesus a lot longer than I have. And that's always a humbling experience to come when you talk about subjects like this and you realize, man, I've got no idea what's the battles you've fought and won. And God, I've got no idea, you know, what you're facing now. But what I know from my 20 odd years of following Jesus is this, is that you can trust him. You really can. And I know you know that. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're struggling with, he is trustworthy. You can trust Jesus with your life. Trust him with your life. Give him what you have. Make yourself vulnerable. You see, that's why there was a boy and not an adult. Because as adults, we hate making ourselves vulnerable, don't we? Kids don't mind so much. You know, Joy Webb owns this place. She, <laughs> she doesn't care what anyone thinks. Jesus wants us like that. He wants you like that today. And I know he's speaking. I know he spoke earlier as well, already to you. And I want to encourage you guys here. Trust him. Get, out, get, get into the battle again. If you're, if you're on the sidelines in any way, get on the front line again. Put yourself out there. Take risks again for him. You will not be disappointed. He will not disappoint you. He will take what you've given him. He will he'll break it. He'll bless it. But he's going to use you. He's going to use you here in Durham. 
He's going to use you to, to, to bring about. I mean, we've been praying this morning. Colin and I were praying for you, Lord, 400 and beyond. I was like, no, Lord, 4,000, 40,000. We need a revival. This town needs a revival. We need a revival. But the nations too, guys. I know you have a heart for the nations and a history in the nations. Come on. There's such an adventure awaiting. There really is. And I just want to encourage you in the way that you're going. I want to say, keep going. Keep on keeping on. I know you've, you've had project of this, this amazing venue, but now there's another one across there. And just now, Alan's going to own this whole park here. Well, you're going to own this whole thing. I'm like, whoa. Keep going. Get strong in God again. Come before him. Press forward. He has more for you personally, but you're going to find that in community. You're going to find that in this amazing group of people that he's called you to be on because he saves you, puts you in a family. That's where you grow. That's where you mature. Amen. Amen. Can I pray? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we just want to thank you just for your goodness towards us, Lord. Your incredible kindness, Lord, to us who believe, Lord. Thank you for saving us, Lord, out of wherever we were. Thank you, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose for our life, Lord, to obey you, to be clean, to be sprinkled, but to obey you, to know you, to live with you, to be used by you, Lord. I want to thank you that nothing disqualifies us, Lord, from being your children. And Lord, I know, like me, there are many here today who felt disqualified from joining in this great story, this great adventure. Devils lie to them, Lord. Society has put them in a box. And Lord, I pray today for freedom. I pray for freedom for people that they would be able to throw off the shackles of these lies, these discouragements, Lord, that people would be able to, those who are struggling would be able to stand again, trusting you, bringing before you all they have, Lord, all that they have, a five puny loaves, two fish. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, that you will never chase us away. You'll never ridicule us with what we bring. You never point out just how weak we are, but you receive us, you love us, Lord, you bless us, and you use us. So, Lord, I want to pray your favor on these people in Jesus' name your favor on this church, Lord, this incredible community here. Would you pour out your favor, Lord? Pour out your blessing on them in Jesus' name. Lord, we we pray you would give them their heart's desire. Lord, we pray for 400 and beyond, Lord. We pray for a church, Lord, that that changes the very fabric of the city. In Jesus' name, change it, Lord. I pray, Lord. Lord, you can do it. I've seen you do that, Lord. We, we've read accounts of you doing that all through history. God, w- why not again? Why not here in Durham, Lord? Would you pour out your spirit? Lord, as the people are hungry for your, parents, for your presence. Lord, would you pour out your power on your people and use them mightily in this place, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for truth. I pray for truth for people, Lord, that would be free, free from lies, Lord, free to live as you've called them, free to take up their role, Lord, in this great story. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks,
から